Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Total Basis Podcast. I'm your host, Felipe. And with me, as always, it's Austin Spiro. Austin, how you doing? I'm doing I'm doing all right. Finally got a chance to relax a little bit this weekend. My uh I've been busy the last the last couple of weeks. So it's nice to kind of, you know, get a chance to chill. No, I wish I was I could chill like that, but I can't. So uh no, I, I've been uh getting so much done the last couple of days, it's ridiculous, you know, and um and unfortunately, our draft is still uh, for March 27th. Our fantasy baseball draft is for March yeah. 27th for the Mardi Gras League. Yep. And our keepers are due next weekend. So, yeah, it's like I'm trying to get all this shit done. And like, oh, man, I still got to – I can't – I don't even know who I'm keeping in this league. So it's going to be go down the, down to the wire. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's the hitter's spreadsheet is done. The starting pitching spreadsheet is done. I just got to rank those players. And obviously, we still got to do the relief pitchers. But – yeah. Uh, we'll get to it uh, probably hopefully next week. But today we're just uh, kind of shooting the breeze here. I got we really didn't have anything planned, but we did see some interesting conversations over at the Baseball Life Facebook group. That is where we're going in live uh, as we do every Sunday morning. And uh, let's get going, man. I got a question for you. What's start up? start one, bench one, cut one. So I guess you either start one, bench one, cut one. First baseman edition. So it's Matt Olson. Paul Goldschmidt or Jose Abreu, go ahead actually, and tell me who you're doing. I think you did actually, comment it. I actually commented on this one. I did. I did comment on this one. Um, you know, when I commented on this one, I had I had a you know the the with it in mind of the next season. Yeah. And then um, other people did, and other people were like, "Well, it depends. Are you going? For, are you you know going? Are you building a team with that first baseman, or are you trying, or is it just that season? I went with the perspective of this season. Yeah. Um, the most consistent out of all three of those is Gold is Goldie. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got Gold Glove caliber first, uh, you know, fielding. Um, he's the most consistent bat. Even though you know, even I have have come out on the group and said, "Hey, um, Goldie is going to decline. He still hasn't declined." Um, so I'm. I would. I would. Um, I would start Goldie and then Olsen and Abreu were tough, but I would bench Abreu because of his addiction to uh, creating runs. He's really good at, he's really good at driving in runs. And I think uh, I would cut Olsen just because he's um, he's a little more inconsistent when it comes into, when it comes to driving in runs and stuff than, um, than Abreu. Um, so I would cut Olsen, although I really like Olsen. I like his big power bat. He is the youngest out of all of those. I would cut Olsen simply because he's a little more, um, uh, he's a little more inconsistent than Abreu is in terms of creating or driving in runs. Uh, so you say you would start Goldie, bench Abreu, and cut Olsen? Yes. Yeah, this is a tough one for me because I like all these guys. But, uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, where we've been kind of waiting for um, – What's his name? Uh, Goldschmidt to kind of, uh, and, and we thought he did. We thought he was on the dip of his career, and then he bounced back in a big way. The stolen bases aren't what they used to be anymore, because that, in terms of fantasy, that was always the draw to him. Was oh man, yeah, this guy could steal a lot of bases. But uh, yeah, the, I don't know if those days are over per se. But uh, uh, he's not gonna be that stolen base person that we have been accustomed to seeing. But what I'm trying to do here on the other screen is <clears throat> I'm trying to look at performance from 2019 to 2021 last year, just to see what the numbers say out of curiosity. And initially I had a 
start Abreu just because uh, he he does a really good job of producing runs, like you mentioned. And he probably has the best contact rate of anybody. At least that's what I'm thinking uh, before looking at the numbers. Uh, I would uh, bench Matt Olson. He could be my left-handed DH or my left-handed pinch hitter. And I'm cutting Goldschmidt because I feel like, you know, he's going to be on a dip anytime soon. But it's like you mentioned, every time we think he's on a dip, he, he proves us wrong. So here's what the numbers say. In terms of wins above replacement, Goldschmidt's number one at 10.1. Matt Olson, and this is since 2019, by the way, if I didn't make that clear. Uh, so it's Cole Schmidt at number one at, at 10 wins above replacement, Matt Olson at 9.7, and Jose Abreu at 7.2. So there are four. Maybe we oh, have wow. it all messed up, yeah. As Goldie has not been finished by any means of the, uh, of the imagination. He's actually been uh, pretty solid all around. And then you look at some of the other advanced stats, like weighted on base average, and it's Paul Goldschmidt and Matt Olson tied at 364, and Jose Abreu is at 359. Also, Jose Abreu is the oldest guy here at 33 years old. What I thought Goldie was older. Yeah, uh, and, and wow. that's just let me let me double check that because that doesn't. I just want to make sure that I had that right because I don't know how Fangraphs is doing it. That's um, surprising. No, so, so no, okay, so it's since, it's since 2019, so they took the youngest uh, year of, of their career at that point. So Jose Abreu is actually 35. He just turned that in, in uh, January. And Gold. Remember when he was a rookie? That's crazy. Yeah. What What was he a rookie at uh, the age of 27? I think was it. Uh, maybe he was a little bit, he was a little bit older of a rookie that's yeah, right 27 yeah so abreu is 35 now uh goldschmidt is 34 his birthday's in september so that means that olsen must be what 29 years old let me double check i think he's still in his 20s oh he's olsen's 27 uh, he'll be 28 later this month so uh so abreu is still the oldest guy on the uh, on the ledger here uh in terms of wrc plus matt olsen they account for uh, in wrc part wrc plus accounts for uh, league factors and ballpark factors. Matt Olson plays in a very cavernous ballpark in Oakland. So he has the highest WRC plus of these three players at 134, followed by Paul Goldschmidt and Jose Abreu at 128, who probably plays in the most hitter-friendly ballpark of the three of them and uh, over there at the guarantee rate field on the south side of Chicago. Uh, lastly, last thing I wanted to do was look at the plate discipline, see how that looks. Uh Let's see. Uh, like I mentioned, Abreu is a very aggressive swinger uh, compared to the other two guys. The other two guys are a little bit more patient. Abreu is uh, 48. Well, he's on the White Sox. All the White Sox players. Good are point. Aggressive. Excellent point. Uh, one of my favorite running guys. Like, well, he swings at a lot of pitches, uh, but generates a lot of contact. So he's going to fit just well with the White Sox. So. <laughs> the Avisal Garcias of the world, uh, your Tim Andersons of the world. Uh, he strikes out a lot. That's okay. He He's an aggressive swinger who makes a lot of contact. Uh, and as far as contact rate, uh, surprisingly, surprisingly, it's Paul Goldschmidt at 77.2%. Um, so, yeah, this, despite the uh, patient approach, he still has a lot of contact, Goldschmidt does. And the other two, uh, Matt Olson's in second at 75.6%. And Jose Abreu's in last at 75.3%. Swinging strike percentage, uh, Jose Abreu leads that 12.1, which is surprising. Well, I guess not really surprising because he does swing a lot of pitches, especially outside the strike zone. Uh, outside the strike zone, swing percentage, 36.5% for Jose Abreu. So, yeah, he is uh, he's an aggressive guy. He's a very aggressive hitter. Yeah. He makes it work. He has a hit uh, for a 281 batting average in the last three seasons. So it, it works. But so does Paul Goldschmidt's approach because he's hitting a batting average of 280. And then the stat cast numbers, they're pretty neck and neck. Uh, Jose Abreu slightly has a lead at 92.2 exit velocity, miles per hour exit velocity. 
And the barrel rate, that's Matt Olsen because he's a big, powerful dude. And the hard hit rate, according to StatCast, goes to Jose Abreu at 49.2% with Matt Olsen at a close second at 48.2%. So all this to say that, I mean, these three guys come with different uh, skill sets, right? Matt Olsen's a big, hulking, powerful, massive hitter, uh, despite the fact that he plays in a very big ballpark. I would love to see him play like a Yankee Stadium and see if that how that power would translate. I mean, he's, I mean, he's been tied to the Yankees. Yeah. Yeah. I know that much tied to being traded to the Yankees before all the, the, all this lockout business. That was a, that was a big possibility. Three possibilities where they're going to sign Rizzo back. They're going to sign Freeman or they'll trade for, they'll trade for Olsen. Yeah. You would think that Freeman would be the better fit, but, but he's also more expensive. Whereas Matt Olsen, I believe, not very familiar with his contract situation, but it seems like he's he might still have uh, he'd be, control. He'd be, he'd be less expensive money wise, but you know, which which one would the Yankees rather give up? Would they rather give up money or would they rather give up prospects? Because if you're mm-hmm. going to get rid of if you're going to get rid of Matt Olson, the A's are probably going to be asking for some pretty good prospects because yeah. that's one of their best hitters. Matt yeah. Olson is right, and and as last year he was the better Matt. He was a better Matt Bat. <laughs> he has know? been the last couple of seasons. That's so, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, I, he's that he's central. He's right in that, you know, number four spot. The A's are the A's are probably asking for a high price for Matt Olson. So it just depends on what the Yankees, if they're going to trade for him, what do they want to lose? They want to lose mm-hmm. prospects or do they want to lose money? Well, uh, he is set to uh, make $12 million a year this upcoming season. Uh, with depend- I mean, obviously, that's dependent if they decide to play the entire 162-game schedule. Um, There's a coin to spotrack.com. Um, and then he's arbitration eligible next season. And then he becomes a full-blooded free agent in 2024 at the age of 30. So uh, that, I mean, you, you either sign Freddie Freeman now or you, you know, you go through arbitration and then see if you could sign Matt Olson later. And with the idea that you already gave up a prospect for him. So you're kind of committed to sending him long-term to kind of justify that. But, you know, it just depends what the Yankees want to do. Like you said, I think the best bet for them is just to go after Olsen, uh, Freeman and see if they can give him a, a relatively low, cheap contract. Um, I mean, they a, can certainly afford Freeman. Yeah, so. but they don't, they don't want to, it's the Yankees. It's like they want to, but they also have been known to very to be very tight with the the the, the purse string, so to speak. Yeah, and especially since they're always at the top uh, level of the uh, luxury tr- uh, the luxury tax threshold. So they definitely don't want to go over that. Uh, it just depends what the collective bargaining agreement negotiation uh, eventually says about that. Because you know, as you saw this past week, it's the small market teams that are holding everything back at this point. Yeah. As, uh, they don't believe that hey, just because we're getting revenue sharing doesn't mean we, we have to spend all this money, right? Like, come on, you play to win the game. Yeah. Or like so, or like somebody told me, well, just because you score more runs doesn't mean you're gonna win the game. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, the name of the game is score more runs than the other team. <laughs> we can get to that in just a little bit, but that's Matt Olson. So anyway, Matt Olson's a big powerful guy. Paul Goldschmidt's probably the all the better all-around hitter. Uh, and then Jose Abreu is still the guy who can hit the ball with a lot of power and decent amount of contact, but he just hacks at everything. So if we are to look at the numbers, I guess um, maybe it is Paul Goldschmidt. You start him, Matt Olson. You bench him, and then Jose Abreu. You cut him. But yeah, um, that's what the numbers say. And but the, again, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know how these guys are going to decline. I mean, Matt Olson's kind of scary because he just left-handed, and I 
I don't know how long you've been listening to uh, this podcast, but I'm always a believer that if left-handed hitters could be better neutralized, especially guys like Matt Olson could hit the ball for a lot of power. So I think I'll stick with my initial and just say that I would, uh, what, what did I say? I think I would start up Brayu, bench Olsen, and then just cut Goldschmidt. So that, yeah, that's my I think, final answer. I think that's what you said. I also think it depends on the situation. If you're looking at, you know, going forward yeah. and you're looking at, you know, a, a number of years down the road, I would start Olsen because he's younger. Uh, Jonathan over from the baseball harmony page comes chimes in saying that Freeman is actually rumored to be in Los Angeles. And well, there's another team that can actually afford Freddie Freeman. If they do, uh, if they do desire, uh, let's see. Uh, this Oakland would like to trade a stadium for Olsen. Hey, you know what? We just talked about how cheap all these small market teams are. You could definitely see, uh, Oakland just going and say, yeah, we're going to get a new stadium, but we're going to get rid of our best hitter, our best, yeah. uh, commodity just to get it and, and then we still and, and revenue you know for what? It. i've been i've been to oakland they need a new stadium oakland they needing a stadium yeah, yeah I mean, oakland is a dump it's ask, like it's like a, a what a, i i did it on i reviewed it on on round trippers mm-hmm. um after i came back you know i did the giants and i did oakland in the same trip and i had you know i had praised how san francisco is a beautiful ballpark it's a really good ball it's a really great ballpark and and then you get to Oakland, and uh, I actually went to the game with um, Manny Hernandez. Um, and uh, it, the way I described it, I believe, was concrete jungle. There was just so much concrete. It was ridiculous how much concrete there was. Um, but, yeah, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Jordan, I believe, he was the one that made the post, the cut. Yeah, and, it was him. It was him. It yeah. was him that made the post. And I believe his – he wanted to uh, start Abreu bench Olsen and cut Goldie. Oh, so he, he and I are matching. That's pretty you, cool. You and him are matching. I believe if I, yeah. if I remember correctly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, he's saying right here, it's crazy to cut a Brayu, but that's why I posted this one. It, it, it missed, uh, it messed up my brain. It, it was really, it was really difficult. And it was, it was, it was a good post. Cause you had to think about it quite a bit. Cause those yeah. are three that I think most teams are going to want, you yeah. know, and, and it's a good conversation to have in terms of fantasy baseball. I mean, who do you have? And I haven't done my rankings yet. Um, I've just been kind of uh, analyzing the numbers, the projections and the stack has numbers and trying to make a sound decision. And I have to make a quick decision, like I mentioned, rather soon, because even though the lockout is still going on, we still have a draft to go in uh, in, the, in our points league, Austin. So that's why yes, we do. I, I'm kind of, uh, you know, have a sense of urgency a little bit. So, but yeah, it's going to be interesting, but in terms of fantasy baseball for the upcoming season, man, it's just hard. I think it would be Olsen, Abreu and Goldschmidt in that order. Oh, I was thinking, I was thinking Olsen, Goldie, Abreu. Hmm. Oh, okay. You have a, okay. Well, you know what? Let's see what the, what the so-called experts have it as. Uh, So let me go up on that page. And then the last thing is uh, Jonathan agrees with both of us runs equals good. I, who knew? That runs are good in baseball. Some some guy tried to tell me, well, runs don't necessarily always translate to wins. Are you freaking kidding me? Ask a starting pitcher who plays on a crappy team who throws seven innings, strikes out eight guys, gives up one run, and still loses one nothing. Ask that guy how that goes. Jacob LeGrom. Oh, my God. Runs don't mean wins. (laughs) Yeah, well, ask Jacob LeGrom if he had more. Let's see. Listen, man, it's Michael Jordan rules, right? Last I checked, two runs are better than one, okay? If Jacob LeGrom had the Mets scoring two runs, in his one nothing games or in his one run games, he'd be a 20 game winner every season. That's all you need. 
don't tell me this nonsense that runs don't equal. And it's all just this rush to make small ball great again. Like, but guys, it ain't 1920 or 1919. The dead ball area isn't here anymore. Stadiums are smaller. It's not coming back. Stop trying to make it a thing. Now, I, now you're a baseball coach, and uh, I would like to hear from you on this regard uh, while I look up the first base rankings over at Fantasy Pros. What's the, what's the uh, question? Uh, the question is, let me see, let me see if I can formulate it. So, I mean, you posted that thing about the, um, the bunting making a comeback yeah. in college baseball. Yeah, these, these dudes have like the, the titanium baseball bats and you want them to, to bunt, uh, or at least, uh, you had some people, Oh man, that's great. That means bunnies coming back in. Yeah. It's in vogue again. Like, Oh my God, if it's in vogue again, then baseball as a whole is in deep trouble. But, uh, I thought, okay, well, if you're in Little League, it's fine. I mean, if you want to bunt, I mean, we saw that. We, I, I mean, I've seen personally in the Little League World Series how bunting safely and onto base uh, has uh, rattled opposing teams that time and time again. But you're talking about two different, totally completely different skill sets. You're talking about Major League skill set, college, and then Little League, which is down here. But I don't know. If you're, a, you're a coach. Is this something that you uh, would utilize as a strategy, as a main strategy, I guess? Uh, to just bunt your way onto base if you see that the other defenders don't uh, uh, can't guard it, can't defend it. I mean, I guess I guess what I'm trying to really ask is, what's your thought process on teaching your kids about just solely depending on bunts to uh, move runners, score runs, and all that? So before I answer that question, um, I'm going to just really quickly go over the top 10 teams in runs. Just they scored, you know, just the stat of runs. The top 10 teams are, I'm going to go in reverse order. Number 10, Oakland. Number nine, Cincinnati. Then you have Atlanta, number eight. Chicago White Sox, number seven. Uh, You have the Giants at six. Boston at five. The Dodgers at four, Toronto at three, the Rays at two, and number one, the Houston Astros. Eight of the top ten made the playoffs. You don't so, say. <laughs> you know, r- runs doesn't always translate to wins. Mm, I don't know about that. Um, so your your question is, uh, what as a coach, as a little league coach, how much does bunting come into my strategy? Yeah. <sighs> That's a tough one because, well, right now I'm coaching six to eight year olds. So none of them know how to swing. I got to teach them how to swing. But, yeah. you know, when, when you coach little league and you get up to the higher leagues and you think about bunting, I'm definitely more of a, of a all around game type of coach. If I see there's a situation that is cause for a bunt, mm-hmm. then, you know, I will call for a bunt. However, it depends on the situation. One, Always, yeah. which batter is up? Do I have my speedster up or do I have my power hitter up? If I have my power hitter up and I got a runner on first, there's probably a much better chance that I'm, that he's going to hit it in the gap and it's going to score is going to score the guy from first and, and instead of bunning, because then I'm just giving away an out and I don't even know. And now I don't even know whether, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a, um, I'm going to have any hitters behind him. That's going to be able to score that run. If I have my speedster on base, then, you know, there's, there's a lot more that there's a lot more to play with that. I may not be necessarily giving up an out, right? Because Mm -hmm. he's a speedster, there's a better chance of the infield throwing it away. Right. And if the, if the infielder throws it away now, I, now I may even have my runner standing on second and third. Um, But I put bunting in the category of, the catcher pick off to first base, right? The Like the Yadier Molina throwing it over to first base to try and pick him off. 
it's a, it's a play you have to pick and choose and you can't do it all the time. If right. you do it all the time, they're going to know it's coming and they're going to be able to defend it. And now you're just giving way outs, right? <laughs> Apparently and, that's, people are okay with just giving up outs like that, giving up outs left and right. No problem. At least they bunted and that's good. Right. And yeah, and I, I, I don't um, understand that logic. There, in my, in my, I, I love, I'm, let me just preface. I love the bunt. I was a very good bunter mm-hmm. and I love the bunt, but I also knew how to turn a bunt into a single. Yep. I knew how to turn a bunt. Hell, I don't know how many times I could tell you I turned a bunt into a triple because I ran so damn fast that it made the th- that it made the third baseman, you know, rush the throw. They overthrew the first baseman, and I'm standing on third. Yep. You know, so there is a time and a place for bunting. Yep. But you can't do it all the time. Now the post that I had, all it said was simply that the NCAA. When you look at the NCAA, um, there baseball is still on, folks. Don't be upset that <laughs> baseball isn't here. Baseball is still on. The college are still playing, and Little League is still playing. Um, and so in the NCAA, the batting average on bunts to third base is 533. Now, how many at-bats is that? How many hits is that? I don't know. But the batting average is 533. So – that could suggest one of two things. And I, and I, what I originally posted was, is this the resurgence of the bunt? But when you look at it more and more, it may be, are the defenses just not caring about the bunt? They just, you know, if they, if they get the out, they get the out. Great. But you know, the it's five thirty three because, okay, you can have first because we'll just turn the double play. Yeah. And that's, you know that's I mean? all I was saying yesterday with some of these guys, like, and they, nah, you're just a guy who is into the numbers and, likes the those fancy schmancy saber of magicabagets or whatever they're calling you. They're ruining the game and get off my freaking lawn. And some guy called me a, an asshole or an idiot or some guy who didn't dummy. get it. A dummy. dummy. D- yeah, dummy, which is kind of tamed by Facebook fans, but that's a big no-no in our group. We don't we don't tolerate that. At least we try not dummy. to. <laughs> big dummy who eats gummies and has a tummy. <laughs> plays gin rummy. He's uh, not my buddy. But yeah, I'm like, and then he told me that my mom didn't breastfeed me enough I'm like no man I, yeah oh okay. yeah Shit. so stupid but yeah. um it, but was, no, it, it, was, it escalated really quickly and it was really dumb like over a dumb conversation about fucking bunting like who gives yeah, a shit no it's a bunt get that upset over a bunt yeah and like well i think, well, the, mo- I think the most realistic people are going to say that bunting is a there is still a place for bunting, but it's yeah. very far and few between. Yep. And you better make sure that it's going to net you the result that you want. Exactly. But it, because you're giving up an out, like you mentioned, you're giving up an out and you're, you're actually decreasing your chances of scoring a run. Cause you're, cause yeah. every time you give up an out, you're, that's just, that's just the, what, what you people would call playing the percentages. Yeah. It's a low percentage play, but you do it out of desperation. And there's a couple of things uh, before I move on here. Um, over the baseball prospectus, guys, they did write a big book back in 2005, 2006 about, and, they, and one of the chapters that they uh, focused on was on bunting. When is it okay to bunt? And they mentioned a couple of things. Number one, if it's late in the game and you only need one run and more than likely you're facing the, the other team's best reliever, go ahead and bunt your guy over. If you're only playing for one run, fine. You're playing for the tie or you're playing to uh, uh, to take the lead or it's a 0-0 tie and there's no chance in hell you're going to score another run. Go ahead and bunt, see what happens. Yeah, You're still decreasing your chance of, 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 um, 
what do you call it of, of scoring the run but yeah. in these dire straight situations go ahead and do it that's fine the I other think time that also depends on the situation though if no, you no, that a is runner, a situation. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the situation if, right there. If you, got a, if you got a runner standing on second with nobody out and you're having a hard time scoring runs, you may want to bunt that runner from third over because now you've, now you've opened yourself up to a whole lot more of a chance of, getting on, of, of scoring that run if the runner is on third with one out. You could yeah. have a ground ball to the other side. You could have a fly ball into mid-deep center field, right? Yeah. There's a whole, whereas opposed to a guy on second with one out, you have you have more limited options to scoring a run. So, you know, like I said, it depends on what, and you better have the guy up there that knows how to bunt. There's an art to bunting. Not everybody can bunt, right? <laughs> Half the players are going to go up there, square up to bunt and break their finger because they don't know how to bunt, right? <laughs> you got to know where to put it. You got to know how to hold the bat. You got to know how to, how to control the bat so that you can deaden the ball and put it where it's supposed to be. Um, there's just an art to bunting. So it's a very, very specific situation and you better make sure that you're going to net you, or you at least have a high percentage of netting of netting the result that you want. Yeah. And, and without that, but still, you're still, every time you give up an out, you still, even though the guy's at third base, you're still decreasing your chance of scoring and you're, and you're like you said, all these things that can happen, but those are still kind of, you're, you're, you're depending on high variance and randomization. Yep. to get that runner in so which can happen you know in, in the lower levels i can see that happening the fielders aren't as good they're not as uh, skilled or, or or veteran savvy so to speak uh then the other the other time that you they mentioned that it's okay to bunt all right say you got to run around first base and the next guy up uh has one of the worst on base percentages on your team and is not a power hitter have him bunt because yeah. it, it's just, it's one of your worst hitters. Have him bunt, give up the out. He's gonna, he's more than likely gonna be uh, uh, thrown out, right? So you might as well have that guy bunt, and then take your chances with the with the hitter next. Uh, that's after that guy, um, hopefully with a better on base percentage than the guy who just bunted over. If not, I mean, you still that's still, those are like, those are the the two times that kind of stuck up to me when I read the book was. Uh, it's a low scoring game and it's um, late in the game and you just are playing for one run, go ahead and bunt or your worst hitters coming up to the plate and he's going to be out anyway. So might as well have him bunt and see if he can move the runner over and get the next guy to knock him in. So yeah. that's it. That's it. There's, there's nothing. Let's, let's not revolutionize things that don't need to rev be revolutionized. Um, and the adjustment is fine. I mean, we talked about it on your podcast over the round trippers last week. It's it's just this is what happens when you have smaller ballparks and uh, teams. Okay, you're gonna give us small ballparks to play with. We're just gonna develop these high 90s pitchers who come out of the bullpen. Good luck trying to hit something off of them, and then that's when the launch angle revolution. Well, okay, fine. If you're gonna go and do that to us, then we're just gonna teach all our hitters to hit for power then, as best we can. The power versus power. Let's see who wins, and this is the results. So. It, it is what it is. So, yeah. Uh, so apparently you got a new nickname there, Austin. Cool Papa Spiro. You like it? Okay. 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 <laughs> All right. Austin Cool Papa Spiro. All right. All right. Uh, Jonathan also mentions that the Chicago Dogs, the King County Cougars, and the Schaumburg Boomers are going to be playing. Those are all the uh, the suburban teams, uh, minor league teams that play here in the Chicagoland area. Uh, so they're not too far away from where I live. So I'm, you know, if Major League Baseball doesn't want to act right, then, you know, we have options thankfully for sure yeah uh, i've got the inland empire then? 66ers here i've yeah. got our yeah and i've got the rancho cucamonga quakes i've got 
Um, you know, if I want to, if I want to go out a little bit, I got the Lancaster Jetthawks. Like I have, I have options when it comes, if I want to shoot, I'll take a trip to Vegas, go see the 51s play. Um, why the know? 66ers though? Is that when that was founded that Inland Empire? Um, it's along route 66. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. They play in San Bernardino. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Um, that's a great, that's a great ballpark. I love that experience and it, they're super cheap. Um, and you know, you can go and great, great seats and, uh, you know, the mascot is fun. Their mascot is Bernie. I don't even know what the hell he is. He's some red. I don't even know what the hell he is. I'll have to look, I'll have to find a, a oh, image. He, wait, did you say he's so, red? Yeah. He's oh red. man. Well, he's a communist. It's <laughs> clearly named after Bernie Sanders, right? Uh, yeah. Let's see. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm gonna look this up. Uh, oh wow! What the hell? It's like a mo- it's like a mo- like a dinosaur of sorts. A dinosaur? Oh, maybe not. What the hell is that? I don't know. I don't know what it is. But he makes this sound, and and the thing is, he makes the sound, and you do it back at him, and all he goes is whoo, and then that's it. And everybody and everybody in the everybody in the stadium all go whoo back at him. Like it's, it's, it's a stupid thing, but it's so much fun. And he, like, he comes out, he stands on the dugout and bangs on pots and stuff. I found it. it, And then he drops it in front of kids. And it's, it's, it's amazing. Bernie, according to Wikipedia, Bernie is the baseball bug. What? I don't know if that's like meaning to that, that he's an insect or maybe he kind of does kind of, kind of, maybe he is a ladybug, but that's too furry to be a ladybug. Or he's just he's the baseball fever personified. He has the bug, the baseball bug. Yeah. Anyway, uh, speaking of stadium, let's go back to the stadium talk that we were discussing. You mentioned Oakland Coliseum being nothing but concrete. Uh, yeah, well, it was built in the '60s. That was all the rage back then. You think of all those cookie cutter. Uh, uh, when you guys mentioned that the Angel Stadium was a cookie cutter stadium, I mean, maybe it was. I don't know when it was built exactly. I know it's been remodeled to look like a, like a theme park. But yeah, that was the, the that was the that was the. Uh, uh, that was in vogue back in the day, just to make these gargantuan, multi-purpose cookie cutter stadiums all across America. Uh, that was uh, mostly steel and concrete, and those were the results. And that's why you get that feeling when you go to uh, Oakland Coliseum, and it does feel like that. It feels cold and empty. And and uh, what were the other things? Al you- Davis for that. Well, I don't know if it's Al Davis. Was Al Davis a, a big part of uh, having that built? Uh, I know he built that big, those big luxury suite, or he was part of building those big luxury suites out in, out in uh, the outfield that block the view of the really nice hills and mountains that are there. It blocks that view. And all Mm -hmm. you see is those luxury suites. So it feels like you're more, uh, what do you want to say? It's more like you, uh, you're, you feel more closed in almost yeah yeah i think that's a good way of putting it actually uh well i don't want to just put it all on uh, al davis because a lot of teams opted for those options hell here in in chicago this is after camden yards was built no this is before i'm sorry this was before camden yards so you could argue that the chicago white Sox spearheaded that whole uh baseball stadium revolution right where all yeah. these nice looking stadiums were built. They, we ignited that. Unfortunately, we didn't, we only ignited the idea to get a new stadium um, uh, for all these other teams because it was due. Unfortunately, we didn't, we didn't uh, catch the train and catch the wave of trying to 
build a stadium to kind of blend in with the surrounding uh, area, right? Like in yeah. Cannon Yard. So it, it, Cannon Yard looks like it's an extension of the surrounding neighborhood, uh, that surrounding uh, abandoned yeah. uh, warehouse that's there and whatnot. Like it's it breeds with the community. The White Sox, it, it, it when it first came out, it was you know, a piece of land that was, well, that's, I think that's where the old Comiskey stadium was built. We mm-hmm. turned that into a parking lot and then we built a, uh, an isolated baseball stadium. And then we did the dumbest thing that we could do. We not only enclosed it all around. So, you know, but we built it, even if we had it open, if the outfield was open, you'd see nothing but long distances of, of, of emptiness. Right. Right. If you flip that sucker the other way around and you open it up, you would see downtown Chicago and all that architecture. I mean, that's the way stadiums are built. Look at PNC uh, Park. Yeah. They open up the outfield and you see this beautiful, the beautiful bridges and the beautiful uh, uh, skyline from Pittsburgh. And it's just marvelous. You don't get that. uh, Same thing with San Francisco. You open up the field and it's the San Francisco Bay. Yeah. That's why they had to do. uh, Well, that's why they did. They did it the way they did it, but still it's, that's another ballpark that just, you can tell it just blends in with the community. It blends Mm -hmm. in with the neighborhood. Yeah, here in Chicago with the White Sox. Nah, we we're gonna we want to make sure people are are isolated from the rest of the city for no goddamn reason, and then they wonder why they can't fill the stadium up, which just bad decision after bad decision. But hey, Jerry Reinsdorf though, he's the guy who spearheads all these lockouts and all these uh, strikes and all these uh, work stoppages. So why not? Uh, John- really- Jonathan says the problem with flipping it around is the wind would blow into home plate instead of out. Hey, it's a hitter-friendly ballpark anyway, so who cares? But anyway, it's all about aesthetics, though, right? I mean, I yeah. understand that. I, I, I get it. I mean, that's why I think the other one that does a really, really good job at blending into the community is Petco. Petco, uh, yeah, I love Petco. Petco, yeah. Petco does a really, really good job. When I was in San Diego and we were going to go see the we were going to go see the Padres, we were walking through San Diego, which, by the way, if you're going to walk through San Diego, don't. Um, it's not great. Um, what, to walk around San Diego? Yeah, it's. I did it. it. It's no big deal. What's so big bad about it? It's. Uh, when's the last time you walked through it? Walk through uh, what? Uh, San Diego? Yeah, through like downtown San Diego. Uh, 2010. Although I, I, at night I was scared. I yeah, was scared at, night. Night, at night especially there was. It's, there's just there's. Yeah, they they have a huge homeless problem there right now. Yeah, it must be um, a West Coast thing because I, I I felt that way in Seattle as well. But then again, I felt that in New Orleans as well. So maybe it's uh Yeah. I don't well, know. I can't explain it. In New Orleans, New Orleans, you got you know all the voodoo and stuff going on there at night. So. <laughs> oh man, let me tell you, you you, you haven't lived uh, in life until you walked in a dark alley in New Orleans uh, in the middle of the night. So yeah, that's yeah. You still have that um, that mystic uh, the mystified yeah qualities that is New Orleans. It's a beautiful city, man. I absolutely love it. But yeah, next time I'm just gonna Uber everywhere. But yeah. <laughs> I, I walked around the, the ballpark um, in the daytime and it was absolutely gorgeous. You know yeah. that, that there's that fence with the, where the beach volleyball thing is mm-hmm. on the outfield. I actually yeah. got to step into that. And, oh, that's cool. And it's such a wonderful stadium, but it, it looks gargantuan. But like you said, it blends in perfectly with the city and its surroundings. It does. That's what I was going to say is we were walking around and if I didn't know the, the you know, the I didn't know where it was at, I, known, I wouldn't have known it was there. It mm. looks like part of the city. It doesn't look like it's a baseball stadium. Yeah. Right. So I think it blends in with the community. And what's really interesting, um, let's oppose that to Angel Stadium. Angel Stadium, <laughs> you know what's there. 
it's a very cookie, cookie cutter stadium. And what's interesting is Disney helped create part of that, like the 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 rock structure. Yeah, yeah. Disney. Yeah, so that makes sense. You know, Disney helped create stuff like that. And the problem is, just like you're saying, it doesn't blend in with what's around there. You're looking at Orange County, and there's <laughs> there's no rocks. There's no there's no none of that in 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 downtown Orange County. You know what I mean? So, well, I'll tell you what, man. Um, I think it blends in because it, it because of the rocks in the outfield. It does feel like oh, this is a stadium right next to to to, to Disneyland and Disney downtown Disney and yeah Disney Park and Disney this and Disney that and and it just feels like Angel Stadium is an extension of that. And that's why when you guys said it was cookie cut, I'm like, man, really? I mean, it, it, they did a good think- job to kind of modernize a little bit with the, with the aesthetic. But then I'm looking at Wikipedia and it looks like angel stadium was also built in 1966. So yeah, I guess you guys are right. It is. A, if it's done in that era, more than likely it should be considered a cookie cutter stadium. Yeah. But- you know, I think, I think now when you go, like, I love going, I love going to the angel, to angel stadium because I'm an angel fan, but you know, in terms of the stadiums that I've been to, and I've been I've been to San Francisco, I've been to Oakland, I've been to Petco, and I've been to uh, Angel Stadium on top of some other um, on top of some other what do you call it uh, minor league stadiums. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also going to go to Seattle, and I'm hoping to go to another another one here pretty soon. Um, out of the ones that I've been to, Angel Stadium feels very much like a cookie cutter stadium, wow. and it and it doesn't seem much. It doesn't feel like a it doesn't feel as immersive into the town as as some of the other ones like San Francisco and uh, Petco make you feel. All right. Well, uh, before people, the, the White Sox fans come after me, I just want to say that between Wrigley and White Sox Park, um, I think I would prefer watching games at, at uh, Guarantee Rate Field on the south side. Just, I don't know, just it's more modern. Uh, you could walk the entire concourse around without any limitations and get a different view of the game. Uh, the food selection alone is much better than Wrigley Field. It, it's like comparing, uh, I don't know, McDonald's versus a five-star restaurant. It's, it's no comparison. It's not even close. Wrigley Field, just you got two options, hot dogs or burgers. Choose one. And it's ridiculous. Uh, the food at um, San Francisco was good, too. Yeah, that's why. Because they, they have those amenities, man. And yeah. Wrigley Field is so old and so antiquated. I don't know if if it's an issue, but that they can't um, fit all that uh, into that, uh, into the uh, parameters that is that old ballpark. Now, one thing's for sure is that that's another stadium that just blends in with the neighborhood. Uh, yeah, and, for sure. And the whole park is just green as green can be. It's just, it's absolutely gorgeous. But, and, and then even then that's a nice stadium to watch a game, but in, in terms of like the amenities, that's why guarantee rate field gets the, the slight edge over Wrigley field is just the amenities alone. Uh, and they, there's plenty of parking, although huh, you better get there early because, yeah, parking does run out as I found out the hard way. <laughs> yeah, ask Ricky and Vince. Like, I, I think I was like, I didn't get into the game until like the fourth inning just because I was looking for parking and finally I bumped into it. And like, I guess people were leaving early or I don't know what the hell happened. And I was able to go in. But uh, as opposed to Wrigley, it's like you got to take the train or the bus because, yeah, you're not going to find any parking there. Um, so anyway. Uh, oh, right. We were talking about first baseman. So here's how fantasy pros, uh, their uh, experts, so to speak, have it. Um, how far back does this go? Okay, it goes back to February, mid-February. So we'll keep it that way. Number one, Vladimir Guerrero. This is a first baseman ranks 
uh, as, according to a consensus of fantasy pros experts uh, across uh, across the internet. Vladimir Guerrero, Freddie Freeman at number two. Number three, Matt Olson. Number four, Paul Goldschmidt. Number five, Pete Alonso. And number six, Jose Abreu. And I'll give you a bonus one because you're an Angels fan. Number seven, Jarrett Walsh. How do you like that list? Top hey, seven. You know what? Jared Walsh at number seven. That kind of makes me happy. Um, no, I think fantasy-wise, fantasy-wise, I think I would agree with that. Um, I think that's a good a good list. Guerrero, for sure. I mean, he's coming off his MVP season. Um, Freeman is going to be consistent. Um, you know, uh, Pete Alonzo. Pete Alonzo, I never – I feel like you get the slugger, but I think he's the one that's the biggest wild card there. Mm-hmm. He could either be really, really good or he could be really, really detrimental just depending on what kind of Pete Alonzo you're getting. Yeah. But I think, I think overall, I think that list is pretty good. I like that. Yeah, I think I would actually move up Pete Alonso just because uh, the young he's younger. He's younger than Paul Goldschmidt and Jose Abreu, as we talked about. So I'm always of the man's mindset that younger is always better. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like he can improve. Um, I know that he's a big power slugging first baseman, but I think he can be better than what he's shown so far. But well, he's hit 50 home runs. Yeah, but, you know, at what cost? High strikeouts, uh, low batting average. I think he could be a, a, a decent complete hitter one of these days. And I like to bank on that happening one of these days. Uh, Jared Walsh is a, uh, is a one-year guy. Uh, I need to see more to trust him. But then again, the next yeah, guy's on this list, Ryan Mountcastle and CJ Krohn. I'm sorry, but yeah, I think I'm going to take Jared Walsh over those two guys any day. So that's how I see it. Um, all right. Well, that was fun. Now we got to talk about some of the bad stuff that's around baseball. Somebody brought up. No, I think it was Danny Valencia, right? Uh, Danny Valencia, former uh, Twins player. He, he somebody shared a tweet that said that Tyler Harrow, I don't know if it was Twitter or Instagram, but Tyler Harrow has more um, followers on social media than uh, Mike, Mike Trout. Than Mike Trout. And uh, I don't know. We had, there were a lot of theories out there from marketing to just, it's the NBA, man. The, the NBA is such a social media giant and, it's probably the number two most popular sport here in North America as baseball keeps dropping and these work stoppages don't help at all, but at least we're not hockey, right? At least it's not the NHL. The NHL is like a distant <laughs> fourth trying to fight off uh, soccer. Don't tell that to hockey fans because they'll bitch at you for saying that, but come on, look at the numbers. It's true. MLS is going up and up and the NHL is just keeps being plateaued. I mean, these are the same arguments I had as a teenager back in the nineties when I was on AOL uh, talking to other sports fans from across the globe. It's like, oh, the hockey's so awesome. It's so good. It should be watched by more people. And then every year you look at the ratings. They, they don't move. They just plateau. They just stay the same. Maybe a little bit of a decline, but they don't, they don't go anywhere above, like, the low number that they already give you. So that's so it's basically a three-sports a three uh, sports federation race. It's The NFL is always king. The NBA is uh, distant second. And Major League Baseball is uh, losing. Um, well, they're not losing anything, but they're, I guess you could say that they're a distant third. So here it is. So it must be an Instagram thing because I'm, I'm on Twitter and Tyler Harrow has 33, oh, I'm sorry, 335,000 followers, whereas Mike Trout has 2 million, two and a half million, sorry. So maybe it's not all uh, doom and gloom. That, not as, that means that I'm not checking Instagram. I just, I think this is a dumb exercise to begin with, but it does say, it does speak volumes if, uh, if, if uh, bench players or, or um, 
borderline starters. Hero, the guy that's rumored to be playing in the reboot of White Men Can't Jump. No, that's uh, <laughs> that's rapper Jack Harlow, who wrote a song about Tyler Hero. And I think that's uh, that basically uh, propelled uh, Jack Harlow's uh, uh, hip hop career. And uh, Tyler Hero became a household name where Tyler Hero, uh, the, the, I think his claim of fame is that he hooks up with a lot of Instagram models. So I think that's part of the reason why he continues to be uh, a force on Instagram. So now I'm curious. I'm going to check out his uh, Instagram account, which I thought I would never have to do on this podcast. But now I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if that is the case. I'm trying uh, so to look it up, but I don't I don't even see there. It. I see it now. I see it. Uh, he's known as No Limit Hero. Oh. 2.3 million followers. So, yeah. <laughs> that's where the action is at for Tyler yeah. Hero. So what about Mike Trout? So he has two and a half on Twitter. So he, so Mike Trout has two and a half million on Twitter and on, uh, on Instagram, he's at 1.9 million followers. So therefore that must mean Tyler Hero is a better athlete than Mike Trout, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I explained why, I mean, Tyler Hero, he, he uh, is connected with that rapper who's uh, been blowing up um, big to the point where they're going to, uh, like you mentioned, it's it is rumored, and if not, damn nearly, um, damn near official that he's going to be the Woody Harrelson character from White Man Can't Jump, and um, yeah, you, I think that song really propelled him to uh, uh, Tyler Harrow. It propelled Tyler Harrow to new heights in terms of social media presence. Right, but but uh, I don't know. People say, well, it's a major league baseball thing, but I, I always say this about marketing. As it pertains to Major League Baseball, at least you're not the NHL. It's the NHL, yeah. <laughs> nobody cares about the NHL. I think uh, I think there, uh, there's an anecdote that, that used to be uh, told here uh, locally here by a uh, local sports radio host, Dan Bernstein. It's like, yeah, I, I went to Whole Foods one day, he says, and there was Jonathan Taves. No one gave a shit. No one knew who he was. No one cared. And it probably goes the same with Patrick Kane. I think, although Patrick Kane would be a little bit more noticeable, and Jonathan Taves. Jonathan Taves looks like a, the everyman uh, person, but nobody cares about him or Duncan Keith or Brian Seabrook. All these guys, uh, sorry, Brent Seabrook. All these guys that helped the Chicago Blackhawks win three Stanley Cup titles in, in the early 2010s. They're not. They're not moving the needle. I'm sorry, they're not. That's why the NHL is a distant fourth in in, in North America's uh, sports sports conscious, I guess. Where a guy like Tyler Hero, who's a borderline starter, some people will argue, has that social media presence just because the NBA has mass appeal. They, and there's always that, uh, you know what, what it is, it's that connection between rappers and NBA players that are that's always um, eminent. There's just that connection. It's a bigger connection. I, I would argue it's a bigger connection than they have for the NFL. Right. So, And the NFL is king, but the NFL doesn't need rappers to uh, boost their markets or ratings or whatever but there's something to be said about you take the most popular genre of music in america and you connect that with the second most popular uh sports entity in america these are the results you got a guy like tyler hero with more <laughs> instagram followers than than mike trout uh and what last thing before i i i see uh, to you so you can give me some counterpoints here uh bryce harper probably the most marketable guy um uh, for Major League Baseball, uh, one million followers on Twitter, so he's still uh, dragging behind Mike Trout, who is deemed boring and not exciting and just a, a vanilla guy. But over on Instagram, 
Bryce Harper still has less followers. Than, oh, does he? Let me see. Bryce Harper has 1.7 followers on Instagram. And where did I say uh, for Mike Trout? Mike Trout has 1.9. So he's still lagging behind Mike Trout on both Twitter. Tatis. So now there's a guy. There's a guy. If, if, if he were a white guy, uh, he people would be all over him. But because he's Latino, I, I swear to I, I cannot help. But every time I see a white old dude complain about Fernando Tatis, I can't help but think, man, there's some racial connotations there. But Fernando Tatis, you would think that that's the that is the sh- the shot in the arm that Major League Baseball is looking for. And all you're getting is ah, he's too flashy. He's all flash and no substance. Like, are you freaking kidding me? One of the most exciting baseball players, and people all they want to do is complain. But let me look at Tatis on Instagram and see where he's at. Tatis, 1.3 million followers. And is that the same on Twitter? I would have to assume it's worse on Twitter. But Tatis, uh, let's see. It's not as it's not as easy to do it on Twitter for some reason. But yeah. just type in the name. Bear with me, folks. There it is, Fernando Tatis, shortstop for the Padres. 157,000 followers. So, yeah, it's, so Instagram's the big, uh, is going to be the big thing. But, yeah, it, it, it's no, it, so you're talking about three of the best players combined right here. They don't even touch uh, LeBron James on Twitter. LeBron James has like a ridiculous amount of followers on Twitter alone. Um, more than the what you would argue and say are the three best players in Major League Baseball right now. Uh, let's see here. LeBron James on Twitter alone, right? Because, yeah, because I'm already on it. I saw it earlier. 50.9 million followers. Oh. I'm sorry, man. It's just the NBA. It's 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 a, it's a presence man the nba is the most talked about uh, i i don't know if it's still true but a couple of years ago i saw a thing where it said the, the nba is the most talked about uh topic uh at, at the very least on twitter and i have to imagine that that kind of spills over to instagram and all the other um um all the other um social media websites so uh you said you did a little bit of uh investigation and uh, do you have something for me there austin yeah i do um I'm going to compare the NBA to the MLB because in my opinion, even though I don't watch the NBA, I think that the NBA will soon take over the NFL in terms of ratings and mentions mm. on social media and stuff like that. And part of that has to do with the NFL and all of the politics that it's gotten into and the, you know, all of the, um, the, the biggest the biggest mention besides the Super Bowl that that the NFL has been in is when uh, Trump talked about the, uh, the all, all of the all the kneeling stuff. That was when the NFL was mentioned the most. Um, other than that, you, you're seeing a kind of a decline in mentions in the NFL when it comes to just gameplay. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the NBA. So. Should, should I go with what the NBA is doing marketing wise, or should, should I start with what the problems are for major league baseball? Um, let's go with the, the first part that you mentioned. Let's okay. go in that order. Well, let's what- start with the, let's start with the NBA and kind of, kind of compare it here to, to the, um, to major league baseball. So I looked at a few marketing websites and kind of, you know, and I kind of read up on some articles and stuff. I looked at Forbes and I looked at other stuff like that. And I kind of went back into what I remember from the NBA and stuff like that. Now, here is what the NBA is doing really well at. One, they are integrating sponsors, corporate sponsors into their game, but they're not doing it in an obvious way. Right. Right. So what they are doing is instead of um, like, 
I don't know, NASCAR or even soccer, <laughs> they have these gigantic logos all over the jersey, all over the cars, all over whatever it is that they're on, right? The gigantic corporate logos. It taints the product. It waters down the product, which is the actual sport itself. Mm-hmm. Whereas the NBA has allowed companies to um, uh, sort of rent, I guess you want to say, rent a small space on the Jersey. It's not big. It's little. It's on the shoulder um, where yeah. like, I believe it's the Knicks have a small little um, patch of square space on yeah. their jerk, on their, <laughs> on their uniforms, on their jerseys. And that tiny logo in itself, I'm looking at it right now. That tiny logo in itself brings teams $150 million in revenue. And it doesn't interfere with the players' ability to play. It doesn't irritate the fans because, really, the fans don't really see it all that much, right? But it's still on there. There's still some product placement there, right? So there is that. On top of that, you have – the all-star, the, you have the all-star weekend, right? So baseball doesn't do, doesn't do the corporate logos. And there has been resistance with putting corporate logos on the Jersey on the fans, by the way. Yeah. By fans. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you, I would not be opposed to having a small little corporate patch on the Jersey. Now, yeah. if you're replacing it with a gigantic logo across the chest, then yeah, I have a problem with that. But you know, if it's just a little patch, I don't have a problem with that. That's fine. On top of that, the all-star, the all-star weekend or the all-star festivities are a much bigger deal in the NBA than yep. they are in the in, than they are in the MLB. And because they're a bigger deal and there's more to do, more corporations tend to go that way. Hence more revenue, hence more marketing. Right. I mean, you get people like State Farm and Mountain Dew and Budweiser and people like that going into NBA. Yep. We're going into the NBA All-Star Weekend, and they can sponsor all kinds of stuff. The skills contest, the slam dunk contest, the All-Star game itself, all that stuff, right? Whereas the big the big corporate sponsor for MLB is some cryptocurrency company that I've really? never even heard of until, I don't know, what, what was that? The do with the moon. I don't even know the name of the, that's what I mean. Like it's some company that unless you're into cryptocurrency, you don't know anything about. State Farm, Mountain Dew, Budweiser, even if you don't consume those products, you know what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, you have tuning into pop culture, right? Yeah. You're yeah. tuning into pop culture. NBA is the first was the first professional sports league to create an official eSports league. So not only do they have uh, their regular league where they play, they, they actually have an eSports league where people, where these teams draft video game players and stream these games on Twitch or on YouTube or, you know, stuff like that. So now you're getting into more pop, more into more pop culture and getting people interested in the game. They're streaming NBA 2K games. Mm, They're streaming E-League games. They're streaming these things on Facebook, on Twitch, on YouTube, on all of this stuff. They're tapping into something that's been growing in popularity, which is esports, video game playing, right? And so that's bringing in a whole new demographic into the sport. Very good point. They may not necessarily watch the game itself, but they're going to watch somebody play the video game. Right. 
And so that brings more people into the game. And by association, I, 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 man, it's a lot of good points you're making here. But by association, even though guys, the people who don't watch the NBA games, they're going to recognize the players. They're going to see yeah. LeBron. They, they know who LeBron James is. They know who Steph Curry is. They know who James Harden is, for better or for worse, yeah. like Kevin, the Kevin Durant of the world. And these are all the big names, whereas opposed to uh, Major League Baseball, I just mentioned some of the three big names, and they're they're not even close to LeBron James. I can only imagine how far behind they are to all the other guys I mentioned for the NBA players. So uh, as I also wanted to mention something about the NASCAR stuff, right? Yeah. I think with first and foremost, I want to say that the NBA – like you mentioned, did a wonderful job with those logos. People were up in arms, but once they saw it and they saw that it was just a little patch and it blends in perfectly with the rest of that jersey, I, and I think that's what kind of quelled down a lot of people's uh, concerns about it. it. It's not, like you said, it's not this big, ginormous patch or, or it, it's not, oh, oh, it's the, it's the Squarespaces versus the, the, the Wish people. It's not that. It's still New York. It's still the Warriors. It's still Golden State. It's still the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, and it's not it's not the corporate sponsor taking over. So that's that's a big kudos to the NBA. Are they these sponsors going to demand that they be bigger for the prices that they're paying um, to have a little patch? I don't know. But as of right now, fans don't seem to be turned off about it. It's not vilifying the corporate uh, uh, sponsor. So it's a win win situation for everybody involved here. But as far as NASCAR goes, I think at this point, NASCAR and their fans are so trained for lack of a better term they're so trained as to what a nascar vehicle should look like that the sponsor is like not even a big deal anymore like and it's an understanding that in order for this race to flourish uh, in order for the sport to flourish you're gonna need those ginormous corporate sponsor logos right on those cars for you know i mean it's an expensive sport i can, I can only imagine uh, so you're going to need it. And that's how everybody eats. You, you, you put in that big uh, decal and everybody goes home happy to their, to their lifestyles, right. With their, that, that this sport offers. So I, I guess it's fine. Plus the other thing is that they too blend in their, their corporate logos to the, the colors of the color scheme of the cars or, or whatever, whatever. I don't know what the color scheme is. I, I, I mean, I think about Jeff Gordon and the number 24 and they were known as the rainbow warriors because they had all these colors, uh, uh, on the on the race car now i don't know if that's a dupont thing because dupont was a major corporate sponsor for a long time of that jeff gordon car or if that's just the way the number 24 is i don't know maybe some somebody out there can explain that to me but uh yeah i think that's at a point where they're just resigned a lot of fans are just resigned to the fact that like, this is the way it is and we need this in order for the sport to flourish so uh i'll tell and, you what though if i have to listen to i used to listen i used to watch nascar religiously every sunday Mm -hmm. right yep, yep. with my dad gordon jeff gordon was my driver until he retired and then i didn't want to watch it anymore but <laughs> i i'll tell you what if i if i have to listen to another nascar another nascar interview where they spell out the all of the lists of sponsors oh, uh, you know, all they the, have to they have uh, to depot number 20 car and you know and i'd also like to thank mountain dew and monster blah, 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 they have to man they gotta they, like, they have oh, to on no, so annoying. that's why they pay those that's why they pay that extra money for it, man you, yeah. I, mean, that, I know why they got to do it but that's that's one that's one approach you're like god stop shoving these corporate so corporate for, companies down my throat man Jeez. so for all the baseball fans complaining about oh man i don't want the corporate jersey i don't want uh to have all these corporations all over my baseball stadium I don't, well this is the other option the other option is that what nascar has become has become this corporate hub uh, in the form of racing, that could be these four major sports. 
well, the three major sports, because you know, the NHL, they probably need some corporate sponsors. But the three major sports, always looking for big money. I mean, they have those nice, fancy TV deals that they can fall back on. But that could be the NFL, that could be the NBA, and that could be Major League Baseball. But they're not. So let's be thankful for that. And we're not at a point in sports history where we're going to need to get down to that point. But I'm just grateful that we're not there with, like, the NASCAR where they have to. Or, or, or how about the one where – uh, if it like at a rate like in the, at the Indianapolis 500, right? And that's open wheel, that's not NASCAR, that's open wheel, that's the IndyCar racing series, whatever it's called. But if you win that, you got to drink like 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 a, a glass of milk, right? That's tradition when you win the Indy 500. Yeah. Well, if, <laughs> if you're being sponsored by Coca Cola, you goddamn best believe you're gonna be drinking Coca Cola before you drink any milk. Screw tradition, so <laughs> it's not important because Coca Cola wants to hear from the from the guys that they sponsored that that they don't exist unless Coca-Cola says they exist. So anyway, I just wanted to point that out. Um, I mean, but you're making a lot of good points here. I mean, I can't argue with a lot of the things you're saying and uh, you were going to come to a big conclusion or you were going to come to a second part. Go ahead. And um, so the other part that, you know, that was talked about a lot that I'm not quite sure. I think the MLB and the NBA are kind of, I think the NBA is caught up to the MLB in this sense, but the, you know, the MLB still has a big presence globally. Right. But the NBA has done a really, really good job at promoting more globally. And I think what the NBA has done a good job in doing is instead of promoting the league, they have used players mm-hmm. to help go and be ambassadors for the game. But they in a way where they're promoting themselves and when they promote themselves in their home country, they are in turn promoting the league. For example, you have foreign ambassadors in, in, in the NBA, such as Yao Ming, Dirk Nowitzki. Yep. Um, those two are huge in Asia and Europe, respectively. You have Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's from Greece, right? He's allowed to – he's kind of able to promote himself, right? And in turn, his home country sees that and, and tunes in and watches these NBA games and gets into the NBA games because – you know, you have people like Giannis, you have people like Dirk, you have people like Manu Ginobili and Pau Gasol who are allowed to kind of, you know, um, bring the, or market themselves in a way that will make the sport popular as well. And I got a second up button here, man. That's not a new thing. That's been happening for a long time now. It, it probably, right. you could argue that that started in the early 90s, maybe late 80s, especially with right. Michael Jordan just being a global brand uh, with Nike. And yeah, it really, it really started with Michael Jordan. And, and, it, it, and it accelerated with the 1992 uh, Dream Team yeah. Uh, yeah. that went to the Olympics in, uh, in Barcelona. And I think that. I mean, you, dude. I don't know if you if you're familiar with it, but you had opposing teams on the other on the other teams, uh, like from Africa, from Europe. They literally stopped what they were doing so they could take pictures with these guys, these NBA players, and that just showed you how big the NBA was on a global. I would argue that globally, the NBA has always has been a lot bigger of a deal around the world since the '90s than Major League Baseball ever had. Because you got to realize this: Major League Baseball, yeah, they do have a global presence, but it's only in certain spots of, yeah. the, of the globe. It's not everywhere. NBA is more universal. And yeah. how that's where the NBA ha- probably has an advantage over the NFL at this point. Because the NFL, as much as they try, they're never going to beat out soccer. No. A real football, according to some foreign uh, some uh, foreign well, That's countries. because soccer is way more international than football is. Football is strictly American. Yeah, and, and they're right? trying to break in. They really are trying with the with the British games and the German games and trying to make make some maybe make some more games uh, uh 
maybe I think in China and they do it in exhibition games as well. Mexico is another one that they like to go to for uh, even regular season games, actually, when they're not canceling regular season games in Mexico City. But no, long, this is all a thing to say that it's uh, the NBA has pretty much had a head start on their global presence. And like you mentioned, it only gets better when they uh, when they promote uh, these individual NBA players from different countries. Uh, and put them right there on the same level as the American-born players, and they are allowed to. Because Giannis, I mean, you could say that, yeah, he's from Greece, but he, you know, if you're in, on the African continent and you see a Giannis Antetokounmpo making it big in the NBA, you can't help but look at the guy. I I, I forgot where he's from originally, though. I got to look that up really quick. But yeah, from Greece. No, besides Greece, I think he's an immigrant. Oh. Uh, his parents were immigrants um, to Greece, so so, so he's kind of like a. a, a what do you call it? Um, oh, Lord, I can't think at this moment. But OK, let me see if I could find it. But anyway, you keep going. Go ahead. Oh, I, got, I found it. I found it. Sorry. Nigeria. Okay. He's uh, Nigerian immigrant parents. Oh, OK. I mean, come that on. I, that I did not know. I thought he was strictly Greek. No, no. I mean, he had to come from somewhere. So, yeah, his parents come from Nigeria. I'm sorry, dude. If you're if you're from Africa and you see Giannis, it's not a Greek thing. It's not an American thing. This isn't an Africa. He's representing a whole freaking continent that has no representation. Exactly. Uh, a, a, a major representation in the NBA, like they use. Uh, I'm sorry that uh, you know it's been a while. I, I don't keep track of who's from where anymore. But yeah, it's like it used to be the Kevin Matumbo and Hakeem Olajuwon. But yeah, Giannis Antetokounmpo is not just Greek, but he's repping Nigeria as well and, and the whole continent of Africa. That's huge. I will say I think the MLB is starting to step up in their international game a little bit, and the they reason why I the reason why I'm going the reason why I say that is because um, I'm sure the MLB had a hand in bringing the um, bringing the uh, Caribbean series to Miami. So, and next 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 year the Caribbean series is going to be back in the Dominican Republic, and then the year after that they're going to put it in Miami. That's right? big, yeah, yeah that's and huge. that's huge. That is huge to bring you know, a more international and more international series into America is going to really help grow the game. Whereas, yeah, baseball is a global game, but it's very much like, oh, the Dominicans are watching, you know, you know, they watch it from afar, but they're kind of separated, right? It's not a big, it's not a big baseball community. Whereas the NBA does a really good job at bringing it more into a bat as a basketball community in terms of baseball. I feel very much like, and Melvin could probably attest to this. It's, it's, it's probably much more, okay, we have our Dominican baseball following, and then we have our Mexican baseball following, and then we have our American baseball following. You see what I mean? I yep. think it's very <laughs> more factions and not a mm. big baseball community. And, and yeah, it's a very good point. The MLB needs to figure out how to make it a big baseball community and doing things like bringing the Caribbean series to Miami is, is, is a good step. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, th that's a, a big step. Also the world baseball classic coming back would also be a big step. It's yeah. Um, it, it's, it kind of hurts the sport when they're not around and you see that the players take it seriously. That's number one, man. So the players got to take it serious. They got to be all in. Yeah. These are major league baseball players uh, playing their hearts out in March for uh, 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 an up-and-coming tournament. That's, that's humongous. And not just the American players, but all these players from their little rinky-dink countries like uh, Curacao, which is a... Uh, wait, I always forget. Wh wh whoever, whatever um, island belongs to the Netherlands, 
I mean, it's I want Curacao. Is it Curacao? I mean, I want yeah. when you had Jonathan Scope on that team, you had Jerickson Profile on the same team. Uh, it's like these uh, the, the little engines that could that just are playing their hearts out for a tiny island. But even though they're part of the Netherlands, it's still a tiny island, and uh, they're going all out. And it's it's just fun to see. It's just really fun to see. Uh, Jonathan getting at me again for not believing that. <laughs> that making me, me glorifying the NBA like like they should be, but yeah, Texas through Florida laughs about your basketball talk. Like, shit, they're not even watching baseball. Atlanta, the Atlanta Brave fans are like the worst fan base since I can ever remember. Despite the fact that they have a superstition, despite the fact that they had all the success, the Atlanta Braves don't exist, man. But you know what? All those that region, that Bible Belt region that he's mentioning, Texas to Florida. I mean, come on, we all know what that is. They 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 follow NASCAR. They follow college athletics. And in Texas, they follow high school football, which is kind of creepy, but whatever. Uh, but yeah, they're not. We understand that that Southern Bible Belt is not about professional sports. I mean, the NFL is still king, but it's not about professional sports. I mean, are they even watching Major League Baseball? I know when I went to Arlington, the ballpark in Arlington uh, in twenty eighteen or nineteen, sitting wasn't filled to the brim. I mean, it's a nice little. I mean, it's a, it was a nice little location. It really was, but it's not like they were selling out the joint. It's not like Texas Rangers is a big hotbed of baseball. It might be a little bit bigger in Houston, in Houston, but I don't know. Um, it's it's a different demographic. We would have to do more research on it. But yeah, I mean, it's it's the South. Who cares? Yeah. It, they have they, they love their college athletics because they they prefer their players not to get paid for anything because you know it's the South. They don't like it when anybody gets paid for anything. And I'm, I'll let you guys I'll let you guys <laughs> connect the dots there. You know now. <sighs> There's, there's uh, the MLB is also. Oh my God, hold on. I got it. I'm so sorry to cut you out. I tell me that Nashville is going to, they will watch baseball. Nashville doesn't have any professional sports besides the Predators. Oh, okay. Maybe the Titans. But again, the NFL doesn't count because the NFL is king. But <laughs> they don't even have, they've never even, it's taken them this long to get a baseball stadium. And I'm just going to believe, you know what else? What's another place that they, I was told would be a hot bet for Major League Baseball? Tampa. Yeah. How's that working out for Tampa? Talking about moving it back to Montreal. Come on, you guys. Anyway, go on, Nelson. I do apologize. So I think the other thing is, excuse me, the MLB has created a perfect storm to stifle itself in terms of marketing. Mm, yeah. Um, How so? The So first of all, now I, I read some article and it made – and it made sense. Like I said, I, I read Forbes and stuff like that, and it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's kind of obvious. First off, things that the, things that the, uh, that the fans have been complaining about for a long time, there are so many blackouts when it comes to MLB television programming mm-hmm. that local fans can't even watch their local team because their local team is blacked out. I, I put a post out there in baseball life a while ago. Yep. And I said, how did you become a fan of your team? Probably 95% of the comments that I got. And I got a lot of comments on that post. 95% of that were, were the biggest. The, there were two big reasons. One, the big, uh, the first big reason, their family. The second, <laughs> it's where they live. Yeah. So it's always geographical. It's or, always geographical, right? You're social. You're, yeah, you're watching the you're watching the local team. How in the world are you supposed to grow a fan base of a local team when the local when the locals can't even watch it on television? Right? They're not going to go to 100 they're not going to go to 80 81 home games and and root for the team. You got to you got to be able to let your locals watch watch the game. 
the NBA does a really good job with their league pass at being able to see a whole lot more games. Now, are yeah. there blackouts? Yes, but yeah. the blackout policy for MLB TV and whatever cable package that you have, it sucks. It's really hard to watch your team. I don't think I've it's been really, really difficult for me to watch an Angels game because the only time that I can watch it is if it's on now, it's Bally Sports. It used to be Fox Sports West, but now it's Bally Sports. Right. And But I can't even watch an Angels game because I don't have cable. Yeah. Right? Oh, well for you, man. Sorry. Yeah. And that's Gotta have those exclusive and, rights. And then, and then I have MLB TV, which is what they wanted, right? They went into the streaming service, which is great. But I can't even watch my team because I live too close to them. But can you watch the Dodgers? No, I can't watch the Dodgers. Oh, so you, so then you know what? Become a Padres fan and just fuck it. Become yeah. a Padres fan. Yeah, for real. Can you like, watch the Padres? Um, you haven't even tried. <laughs> I haven't even tried. I can watch the Giants. I can oh, watch the A's. You know what? Just become a Giants fan. That, that that solves all problems, man. Right there. Right. Yeah, that's oh. what they want. They want they want the geographical advantages that they have, just so you can become a fan of a team that's like six hours away from you. Good job, MLB. Yeah, and then. Here's the, here's the next thing, the design of the game. We can, we can totally go past baseball is boring. We get it. If, if baseball is slow and if, you, if you're not up to, up to par on how the game is played and all that stuff, whatever, okay, you're bored, fine. I, I'll, I'll give you that. It's long. Nobody wants to sit and watch nine, out, nine, nine innings for three and a half hours if you don't know anything about the game. Right. I personally like watching it, but yeah. – I enjoy watching the the live games better because I don't have to watch just the pitcher and batter. I can watch the center fielder. I can watch whatever. But we can we can go past that. The game's design. You, you're not seeing your your star players like the NBA. The NBA, their star players are all over that broadcast. Why? Because they're the guy that's going to get the ball. Yep. I can't tell you how many how many times do you hear LeBron James's name? A lot. Or Aaron Rodgers' name or yep. Tom Brady's name. Why? Very good because point. they have the ball in their hand every 10 seconds. Yeah. Right? Baseball, you don't. Baseball, you see that you see your you know Mike Trout come up every one and a half, two innings. Maybe you might see him every inning defensively. If if the Angels go on an offensive out uh, uh, offensive outpour, maybe every so, three innings, depending on where the ball lands in the outfield, yeah, right? <laughs> depending on where the ball lands, you're 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 looking at probably every two innings, every other inning, you're seeing you're seeing probably your favorite player or the star player. It's a really good point. On top of that, there is a very very good chance that the star player will only get the ball in the field once, twice, maybe. Yeah. Right. You're not seeing them all over the television. It so sounds not- it sounds very similar to what the problem with the NHL has, uh, where yeah. they, I mean, they're just as bad. They go on, on, on 30 second shifts and then they got to sit down and that's the last you'll hear for. Well, the only difference is that it's revolving. So it's one, two, and then the star, the star player goes back out there again. One, two, three lines. And then the star player goes back out there again every like 40. Uh, I don't know. So what you're talking about, let's say, let's call, let's go uh, a full minute. So maybe you go three or four minutes without seeing the star players. So that's a little bit better. The other thing that the NHL struggles with is that all of these guys are covered up in helmets, which is the same thing that you can say about major league baseball players that they have to have a helmet or a baseball hat. So it, it does kind of uh, interfere with uh, the image that you're trying to portray. 
But like you just mentioned that <laughs> you just mentioned that the NFL doesn't have that problem with uh, with the quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers is a humongous name. He's in commercials. We know what he looks like. He's mercurial as hell. But you know what? He's well known commodity. But yeah, uh, I was gonna say a couple of things before I forget. We talk about the blackouts, right? And the and the big mess that that people like you and I are in when we try to uh, do their streaming services. Uh, well, guess what? In Iowa, there's like a dead zone there where you have not one, not two, like you do, but six different teams that you are not allowed to that you are blacked out from in the state of Iowa. Iowa doesn't have a major league baseball team, but they're pretty darn close to six different major league baseball teams. I don't know who the, uh, I don't know what their TV package deal is over there. I don't know what their sports thing is. I don't know if this only covers the, uh, the, oh, okay. It's MLB TV subscription, but it's the Cubs, the Cardinals, the White Sox, the twins, the Royals and the Milwaukee Brewers that Iowans do not have access to on their MLB TV subscription. I mean, I'm sorry. That is a freaking crime of humanity right, right there it's not one it's not two it's six different teams that are blacked out in the state of iowa how and they're all local how regionally speaking yes they are and how stupid are you as a as a sports franchise as a sports entity i know it's just iowa who cares right but that is ridiculous not to see the problem there that that could be advantageous to your your entity your federation or any of these six major league teams to gobble up an entire state so because they have they they all they're doing is watching your your team on a constant basis through, through streaming services. I mean, it's bad enough that you can't even do it locally, right? As you as an Angels fan, you can't do it. Or me as a Cubs and White Sox fan, I get blacked out. But to have six teams, that's a crime, man. And this is why Major League Baseball deserves to get the the, the criticism and, and and none of the benefits of being the supposedly global game that they're supposed to be. And this is why the NBA runs circles around them. For this very reason, right here, this is absurd. Anyway, I just it just makes me mad. But yeah, and then the other one I wanted to mention that yeah, the, you do have guys bigger than life personalities uh, in Major League Baseball. We mentioned one of them, Fernando Tatis. You got Vladimir Guerrero. But just watch out if you if you uh, whereas uh, the NBA, uh, those big time players are allowed to be what do you call it uh, a little bit uh, show offy. You know, they're, they can pump their, thump their chest and, and celebrate. Same thing with the NFL. The NFL, <laughs> NFL they must, they, the players might have their helmets covering their faces so you don't know what they look like. But I'll tell you what, they get into the end zone, these uh, skilled players, and they're going to be dancing. They're going to be, that's one thing that the NFL finally got right. Let them have their one minute of glory on the spotlight. Let them dance. Let them do their celebration. You're not allowed to do that in baseball. Why? Because you got these butthurt pitchers who will go up to the next plate and aim for heads. And yeah. that is, I think, one way to kind of deter that nonsense is you got to, and, and that might be uh, something that needs to be collectively collectively bargained for, but you need to punish these pitchers for doing that and, and these teams for doing that. Instead of five-game suspension, 20-game suspension, screw it. You're not going to go after our faces like that. You can't. You can't. We can't afford it. But yeah. I, I, you're a baseball player. I mean, you used to play baseball. I mean, what do you think of that uh, notion to uh do heavier penalties for going after star players like that well and that was that was going to be one of my one of my arguments is uh, how the how nba players are allowed to kind of market themselves and showboat a little bit nfl players are allowed to you know do their touchdown dances and and whatnot baseball players are not allowed to do that and it's the culture in baseball you can't do that i mean you have announcers bagging on ronald acuna jr's jewelry He's not even doing anything. He's standing there and they're bagging on him on his jewelry, right? So as, as a ball player, I've kind of evolved when it comes to showboating. And 
There is times like the Jose Batista bat flip. I had no problem with that. So many people had a lot of problems with the Jose Batista bat flip in the playoffs. You're talking about a very, very pivotal moment in the playoffs and he hits a bomb of a home run. You're telling me that all he's got to do is run to first. Hell no. I'm throwing that bat as high as I can go too. Right? So you got to let the players express themselves so that they can market themselves so that you'll get more fans. Why would you not want to do that? Why would you not? Why would you want to suppress these guys' personalities? Okay, yeah, Mike Trout might be a little, might be a little boring, but that is Mike Trout. Mike Trout every once in a while does celebrate, but I mean, you have people with personalities. I mean, the, some of these guys: Fernando Tatis, Ronald Acuna Jr. All of these guys, they have personalities, and you can see it. But the MLB won't let them do that. So yes, I think. You know, and and you're right. It's because you have people like Madison Bumgarner and people like that who get all butt hurt when they hit a home run. And it's like what Max Muncy said: if you have a problem with it, go Don't fish it out of run. the ocean. Absolutely. Or the Bud Norris of the world, who uh, has been Bud Norris has been known to just kind of stifle the Latino players as well throughout his career as a bigot in Major League Baseball. So I mean, it, it's 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 uh, it's internalized. There's a little bit of race. Like I said, there's a lot of racial uh, overtones and undertones going on. And I'm sorry, the Latino players are the future of the game. I mean, I, I, Fernando Tatis, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., these are guys who come from uh, famous uh, Major League Baseball players. Um, so you got you got to be able to take advantage of that. This is the next generation of Major League talent. Um, it's almost like baseball royalty uh, uh, right in front of us. And Unfortunately, these guys, because they're so they, they, they play with a lot of emotion, as most as most of the uh, Caribbean players, and Latino players do. I'm sorry. That's just the way they are. They play with a lot of emotion. But for some freaking reason, Major League Baseball picks up on this. Uh, I hate to do this, but I to, to monolith do this monolithic on, on, on this monolithic explanation. But it seems like the white players have this Puritan um, American uh, stoicism that, that stems back from like the pilgrims coming into this freaking country and it's like no everything's so serious everything is you gotta this is a job not just a game and these are the same people that, that will argue well these guys are bitching about the money it's just a kid's game they should play like kids but when they do play like kids like ah he's so boating too much and anyway uh, i want to point out that jonathan's calling me off for saying that for not uh acknowledging that the nhl nhl shifts last for he's telling me that they last for 90 seconds i'm looking it up and this is from what i remember as well the average shift is about 47 seconds. And this year I saw something from the Philadelphia Flyers where they're going 41 seconds per shift. So no, these shifts don't last long, but you know, it's a revolving door. They come back eventually and yeah. you'll see those guys. But yeah, I don't know where the 90 seconds, because I know I mean, power plays last for two minutes. There's no goddamn way that these players are out there for 90 seconds. It's they'll, they can't do it. You, you see, yeah. Every time the defense is clear of the puck, here comes another, another batch of guys, uh, fresh bodies coming in. So anyway, uh, so that's that. That's the Latino. Uh, anything else for me, Austin, they had about uh, I mean, on, on top of that, I mean, marketing. you're saying it there. They're not, you know, they're not allowed to, they, they can't market themselves because they're not on the field. They're not on the field. They're not on the ice. They're not on television a whole lot, right? Mm -hmm. And the other, one last thing that I'll say is the other problem with the MLB on top, uh, you know, with the not being able to market the players is they're young guys. You cannot market the young guys. Why? Why because of the service time manipulation yeah. where they're down in the minors and you don't see them. One. Two, um, two the, you, you can't hype the draft like the, <laughs> like the MLB can and the, or, or like the NHL. NFL. Or NFL. The, NFL, the NFL can, the NBA can. They can hype their draft. 
Why? Because they have young players who get drafted and immediately get on television. Exactly. Right? MLB, you don't do that. They get, you know, Jack Leiter. Where's Jack Leiter? Nobody knows. No, but- nobody. He's at, he's at high A, double A ball. You Texas Rangers, yeah. You ain't going to see him for three or four years. And then <laughs> after a while, they're going to be like, who the hell is Jack Leiter? Hold on. Right? If, wait a minute. If you're not going to see Jack Leiter for three or four years, that's a bigger problem. Jack Leiter's already, how old is this guy? Oh, well, he's such 21. Time manipulation thing. They, 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 that may come. They did it with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yeah, he that's true. Than, yeah. He was more than ready to, to, to be in the MLB. And they still kept him down in the AAA. Why? Because it takes forever for them to be eligible to be uh, to be um, a free agent. So you need to shorten the free agency windows and you need to, you, so that these players can get up, um, get up faster yep. so that we can create more hype for these guys. Yeah. It, if you can't create enough hype for your young players, then that's not going to, the big contracts are going to the Chris Davises of the world. The old guys <laughs> that don't, that, you know, the, you're getting paid based off of what you've done. Robinson Cano. Yeah. Right? Well, either way, I mean, you've seen that happen. You've seen, uh, uh, they get angry. I mean, uh, even in the baseball, in our baseball life group, which I like to imagine it's a little bit more uh, progressive in their thinking, but you still have some old farts still complaining. Uh, why is Fernando Tatis getting so much money so early? You know, the baseball teams could just take advantage of him for the next seven years and then trade him away. But in this aspect, the Padres kind of did something that's borderline revolutionary and just say, you know, I'm, we're going to buy out everything. We're going to pay you your market value. We're going to pay you not just for what you do on the field, but what you do off the field as well. And we're going to take care of you even after your prime, just because that's how valuable you are to our team as, as a franchise player. We're going to give you the big money and people are still up in arms about it. No one's happy. Anyway, uh, that, but you mentioned a bunch of things that I've talked about on this podcast or even that maybe on, even on your podcast and other people's podcasts. And that is a big problem. I mean, Jared Kalenic, Oh, well, he has to stay uh, in the Seattle Mariners system for another month because he needs to work on his defense. Okay, Seattle. And then you bring him up and he is he doesn't look like the guy who was tearing up spring training last year. He looks like a young rookie, which that is the argument you can make. Like, well, obviously, these guys are not ready. That's why they need three or four years in the minors. But you're right. It, it does I mean, it's compared to the NBA, man. We, when, a, when a rookie gets drafted, there's a very good chance that those guys are going to come up with their NBA team. At least a superstar, the, the, the early round draft picks are, right? And that's something to look forward to. And you know? those people like Zion Williamson and, and John Morant and all of those guys, they create hype because they are the, the top picks and they immediately get on the court four or five months later. Yeah, for, uh, yeah, for uh, maybe maybe even less than that. I mean, maybe three months later, they're already on the court. Uh, 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 NBA preseason, they're on the court immediately, uh, contributing to their teams. And whereas Major League Baseball, like you've mentioned, yeah, they got to wait a while. I mean, Jack Leiter's twenty; he'll be twenty-two this April. But man, if he's here when he's twenty-five, what well, what the hell was the point? What yeah. is the point of having him around? I mean, he looks like he's ready to go. Yeah, he could use a little bit more polishing. I understand that, but if he's here at the age of twenty-five of this game is in deep trouble because I mean, we see it, we see what happens uh, in major league baseball. Younger is better. The league is going younger. Major league baseball union is working on trying to, um, they've realized that the future is with these young players and they're trying to uh, do whatever it takes to get these young players paid and maybe even get them through free agency faster. But yeah, 25 years old in a young man's league, what we're going to see maybe three good seasons of Jack Leiter before he succumbs to Tommy John surgery. I don't know, man. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. It's just like baseball. It just continues to shoot themselves in the foot. All right. Uh, anything else before I let you go, man? 
I think I rest my case. All right. Well, I mean, it's a very good point. I'm, I could tell that you uh, spent uh, a lot of time doing research. Um, <laughs> Jonathan over here with the comments. Roger Clemens tried to murder Mike Piazza, but he's a competitor. So that's a, that's part of the problem, isn't it? Like we glorify the guys who try to murder the hitters, and the hitters are a bunch of wimps who can't deal with a ninety mile per hour fastball going to their heads because they're bitches. Anyway, that's you know a good. What? I loved getting hit. Go ahead, hit me. That's a free you, base, stupid. Of course you do, you <laughs> you masochistic. <laughs> masochistic person that you are i was like that's a free base stupid thanks now I'm gonna i go never understood that either yeah you know what it is is people still believe that batting average still matters oh, well at least your batting average is dropping or it doesn't it's not gonna go up it doesn't go down either but at least your batting average is gonna go down up against me oh yeah well my on-base percentage just went up wait hit by pitch does this does that go into on base by pitches count towards yeah opening. right Okay, I'm thinking about safe by fielder's choice. That doesn't count. All right, uh, where is your podcast, Austin? Tell the folks where they can find you and what you've been doing uh, so aside from this I'm, podcast. I'm also uh, the host of my own podcast, the Round Trippers Podcast. You can find me on Spotify, on uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, things like that. Uh, you can, uh, and then I'll, I'm looking at expanding to iHeartRadio. Um, we will, uh, I'm, I'm hoping to get on there. Uh, you can find me. We just did an episode. It was a very special episode. I had my father on, um, and we talked about little league coaching. So for those of you that are aspiring coaches, um, new coaches or experienced coaches, I, I, um, coaching myself, I'm seeing a lot of new coaches that have, that either don't know anything about baseball, but they're trying to step into coaching. You might want to go listen to that episode. It's a really good episode. Um, and I relive some, um, times with my dad. Uh, again, that's the round trippers podcast. You can find me in the baseball life Facebook group. You can also find me on Twitter at round underscore trippers, um, where I have, uh, conversations with people like Felipe and, uh, Jonathan Jordan, who's in the comments. Um, he's also part of, uh, baseball harmony. I actually had a tiny little, uh, tiny little conversation with the uh, president of the Negro league baseball museum the other day on, on Twitter. So that was kind of fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, I did a little oh, bit. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I uh, put a post out there about the um, uh, who, what is, what is your Mount Rushmore of non Hall of Fame players? Oh yeah, and I, I uh, yeah. one of the one of the players I put on my Mount Rushmore was Dick Allen, and um, so and then I tagged him and told him that we need to get Dick, we need to figure out how to get Dick Allen some more love, and he responded back, so it was kind of cool. What did he uh, say? What did he say? He was like, "Well, no doubt, of course, we need to get Dick Allen in the yeah. Hall of Fame." You know, so, um, but yeah, that's where you can find me again. That the, that's the Twitter handle round underscore trippers. And then you can find me on the baseball life group as well. Go ahead and check out round trippers podcast. All right. Well, thanks for that, Austin. Thanks for the research you did for this one. Uh, supposed to be a quick and easy show, but man, it's, it's a really good conversation about all the things that it's basically all the things we love about baseball and all the things that we hate about baseball. And we just want yeah. the sport to just be all that can be, because it really is truly a beautiful game. But I mean, I think the other it all pot- comes down to MLB has to get out of their own way. <laughs> well, they got owners who don't want to pay up, pay up for uh, yeah. talent. And to I be mean, who doesn't want $150 million in revenue? Because apparently baseball is really hard to generate money from. I wonder why, despite the big TV deals. Anyway, I don't want to get jump started again. All <laughs> right. The, the, this is a total basis podcast. We are live every Sunday morning at the baseball live Facebook group, unless otherwise noted, but for Austin, I am Felipe. We will see you next time. Thanks. Uh- Have a good one, everybody. Mm